Aloha, whale huggers from coast to coast and fans of science-based facts and fact-based reality. Welcome to Scanna. I'm Mark Laren Young, author of The Killer Whale Who Changed the World. And if you're listening to this when we post it, happy Orca Month! Yep, June is Orca Awareness Month here on the coast of the Salish Sea, so there are all sorts of events in B.C. and Washington State to get people working to help the orcas. So this is the perfect time to check out our podcast. And wow, a lot of you are checking out the podcast. The week we launched, we hit number four on the iTunes charts for natural sciences, just behind How Stuff Works, NPR, and some guy named DeGrasse Tyson. Thank you, thank you, thank you. For those of you who aren't from British Columbia, my home province in Canada is kind of infamous for doing things our own way. And people here don't always play well with others. So I wasn't surprised to discover that the Sierra Club BC launched as its own independent Sierra Club. If you're not from here, trust me, that is so BC. Caitlin Vernon is the campaign's director at Sierra Club BC, and we met at her office in Victoria to talk about their campaigns, particularly the campaign to stop the proposed Kinder Morgan pipeline expansion. We also talked about her fantastic book about the Great Bear Rainforest. But the reason I was really excited about meeting with Caitlin was to get her to share her story about how an accident made it easier for her to relate to the orcas. What would it take for you to swim a mile in their shoes or pod or something? For Caitlin, it was a concussion. Today's podcast is sponsored by the National Observer, one of the best sources out there for real news about the environment. No fake news here. Managing editor Mike D'Souza just won an outstanding investigative journalism award from the Canadian Association of Journalists for a story on the Charest Affair, a look at potential conflicts of interest within Canada's federal pipeline regulator. Congratulations, Mike, and thank you. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at Eagle Wing Whale and Wildlife Watching Tours. When I started chasing stories about whales, I was a bit wary of the whole idea of whale-watching podparazzi, and we'll definitely get into stories about that on our podcast. But Eagle Wing... This is the team that works with Ken Balcom, who runs the U.S. Center for Whale Research. And they were instrumental in us making our upcoming short film about the late J2, Granny, the 100-Year-Old Whale. This episode is also brought to you by our patrons who are making this happen through Patreon.com. Patrons like Brenda Chin, Alice Fisher, Emmy Rogers, It's Only Natural Clothing, and my mom, Carol Laren. Thanks, Mom. And now... Caitlin Vernon. Global warming threatens to leave our children a world of drought, floods, disease, and global strife. But we have faced enormous environmental challenges before and prevailed. The blue whale was hunted to near extinction. Textbooks reported these magnificent creatures were already gone. Blue whales still face serious threats. But today, they're coming back to oceans around the globe. Let's kick off by just talking about what Sierra Club BC is all about. What are you doing? Yeah, so we're a nonprofit environmental organization that's been around in BC for almost 50 years. Uh, we work to conserve wilderness and wild places. 
within the urgent context of climate change. So that looks like we have some campaigns to protect uh, big trees on Vancouver Island, to protect the Flathead River Valley in the southeast of BC. Uh, we work to get good climate policy, and we're super concerned about the proposal to bring the Kinder Morgan pipeline and tankers through the Salish Sea. So that's one of the campaigns we work on. Also, we also have an education program that goes into the schools and uh, encourages kids to get outside. Nice. So how are you doing after our election? Yeah, well, <laughs> it's been a bit of a nail biter, uh, lots of speculation. Uh, I feel like it still hasn't quite landed. Uh, it's hard to know exactly what's going to happen. Um, what's really exciting is that a clear majority of British Columbians voted for uh, environmental issues uh, to stop the Site C Dam, to, to stop the Kinder Morgan Pipeline and Tankers proposal, to do something about climate change. And so regardless of how the dust settles with the negotiations going on in Victoria right now, um, it's, you know, it's exciting that uh, British Columbians have really uh, demonstrated through their votes that they care about these issues. Now, can you talk about what made the Kinder Morgan Pipeline personal for you where because you I, I love how you started thinking about the pipeline after you had an accident can you tell us about that for sure I mean uh, the this pipeline and tankers project is personal for me in many ways really I grew up on both sides of the Salish Sea uh, and I call this coast my home you know living in coast Salish territory for much of my life it, the thought of over 400 tankers a year coming right past the islands that I've lived on that I know and love. This is my home. It's incredibly personal for me, right? This is this is my backyard. This is this is my home. Uh, and then it got personal in a different way, I guess. About uh, 13 months ago now, I suffered a concussion, unfortunately, and uh, have never had anything like this before. And I really, really, really needed quiet. I was um very sensitive to to loud noises and needed to be in quiet places all the time and so i spent a lot of time sitting at the beach <laughs> thinking about the kinder morgan tankers thinking about the whales the southern resident orca whales that use sound to find their food and to communicate with each other i've actually had the opportunity to hear echolocation, which is the sounds that they use to communicate through through a microphone. It sounds kind of like ping pongs, I thought. Uh, and it's super cool how they communicate and how they find their food. And they can't do that if it's too noisy in the ocean. Orcas also use echolocation. They create high frequency sound waves that are passed through the melon. The melon focuses these sounds and projects them into the water. The sound bounces off the objects and returns in the form of an echo. And the science is super clear that with the 400 tankers that would come as a result of the Kinder Morgan proposal, that these endangered whales would likely go extinct simply, even without an oil spill, simply from the, the sound getting in the way of being able to find their food. So I, it being in that position myself of, of, of needing quiet really gave me, I guess, extra compassion or empathy for, for the plight of the whales. And, made me all the more committed to do everything we can to stop those tankers and to protect the Salish Sea so that these whales can be there forever. John Ford, uh, the acoustics expert, says that 
talks about what he calls the cocktail party effect, mm. where the whales are now like humans at a cocktail party. They have to shout louder and louder、right. in order to hear each other, in order to hunt,、uh, in order to even find each other. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that I'm 13 months into healing my concussion, and I still can't go to cocktail parties. Even I have these custom-made special earplugs that are supposed to help, and it's it's too loud for me still. So I can't I can't communicate with other people. I get overwhelmed,、um, and I actually can't be in that kind of scenario. So if it's already cocktail party for the whales, and they're already having such a hard time、yep. communicating with each other and finding their food, I mean. They're in dire straits already, and and I mean anyone who's had the great honor of seeing one of these whales know how amazing they are, and I feel like we all have the responsibility to try to protect their homes so that they can survive. Do you remember the first time you saw a whale? Oh my goodness.、Um, I mean, I feel really lucky. I grew up taking ferries back and forth across the Salish Sea, and so I. I actually don't remember the first time I saw whales because I grew up with whales around. I remember when I was ten years old, I went kayaking in Robson Bight and got pretty close to some killer whales. That was amazing. Oh,、yeah. were you watching them doing their rubbing thing on the rocks? They weren't actually rubbing; they were just swimming past. But、um, I was in a kayak, and I was ten. I was pretty small. They were pretty big, and they were very close to our kayak. They came close to us. We we weren't approaching them. Um, but it it made an impression that I still remember for sure. It's funny, even people who know that the whales will not topple the kayaks, yeah, still get you know have that little <laughs> bit. They're big, yeah. They have teeth, and yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like up close, they're you know,、yeah. it's still kind of scary. Yeah,、uh, when you're, you know, when you're in a little boat. Totally. Also known as orcas, don't be drawn in by their very stylish black and white skin. Think you've got away? You'd best think again. They'll drag you back into the water. Do you remember, like, sort of when you fell in love with whales? Like, was it when you were a little kid out there, or was it? That's a good question. I there's something that I found as a kid, as an adult, that no matter where I am and who I'm with, and there's whales around, and it doesn't actually matter what kind of whales, I feel like everybody goes quiet. Whether I'm on a ferry with a whole bunch of tourists from around the world, or you know I'm with a bunch of people that I'm working with, or who it doesn't it doesn't seem to matter where or who, it's like the whales command this sort of respect that it seems like people just kind of naturally feel. I've always just really loved them for sure, and been、uh, you know it's hard to even living on this coast and growing up on this coast, it's hard to not get excited when I see whales. The other day I was just. Taking the ferry back from Vancouver, and、uh, we saw two pods of whales、oh, on、wow. the same ferry ride. And I was, you know, on Facebook, like I'm trying to get some work done, and I have to keep jumping up to look at the whales. And I was so happy, like just knowing they're out there makes me feel good. It's funny. I I always think of the BC ferries when they announce whales. It's like you expect the ferry to tip over. Yeah, yeah. People run、goes. so quickly to that side to see the whales. Yeah. Was there any movie, book, story when you were a kid that 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 inspired you, Free Willy, Babe, anything like animal related as a kid, anything environmentally related like that. 
I grew up without pop culture for the most part. So no, but I grew up kayaking and hiking and exploring the beaches and tide pools of this coast. So it wasn't so much for me a movie or a book. It was actually being outside and spending time outside. I mean, I also would go to the Vancouver Aquarium and see the whales there. And I think that taught me, you know, the, 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 kill, the orcas had, their, their dorsal fins were all bent over and you don't see that in the wild. And so the fact that I would see that at the aquarium and then see them in the wild made me kind of go, what's, what's wrong with the whales in captivity that they don't seem healthy? Led me to kind of understand the value and the importance of keeping whales in the wild and making sure that they have a habitat where they can live in. Well, it's funny, most little kids aren't going to have that standard of comparison. Exactly, right? Yeah. yeah. Can you talk about the the campaigns that Sierra's working right now to work for the whales, like the Kinder Morgan campaign? For sure. So, yeah, so the Kinder Morgan Trans Mountain Pipeline would bring tar sands, diluted bitumen from northern Alberta to Burnaby and then ship it in oil tankers over 400 a year through the Salish Sea, through the critical habitat of these whales. And we think that's a bad idea. <laughs> so uh, not just for the whales, also for coastal jobs and coastal economy and recreational values and our climate. I mean, there's so many reasons why this project is not in the interest of British Columbians or communities or ecosystems. But certainly the whales are, are one piece of that. So we've been campaigning for a number of years alongside many other organizations to to bring attention to this issue, educate people about what's at stake, you know, organize rallies and try to bring people together and encourage people to speak out. When the National Energy Board held their very flawed review process, we encouraged people to try to participate in that. Federal government held a very flawed <laughs> extra review process last summer. Uh, we encourage people to participate in that. We've written reports about the problems with the review process. And, you know, so we, we, do, we do a variety of things. One of the parts of our campaign that we have on the go right now is called Pull Together, which is an initiative to raise funds and moral support for the First Nations who are in court to stop this project. We, we first ran the Pull Together initiative on the campaign to stop the Enbridge Northern Gateway Pipeline. When First Nations went to court there, what happened actually, the story is that a community group in Terrace said, wait a minute, these nations are in court, we all stand to benefit from the outcome, we know legal challenges are expensive, uh, it doesn't seem right that they should have to shoulder this burden alone. So they held a spaghetti dinner, they raised $2,000 to give to the legal fees of the cool. nations. Uh, and then they called me at Sierra Club and said, can you get the rest of the province to do something like this? So we reached out to Raven Trust, who are a legal defense fund, and with energy and creativity and ideas and involvement of people all over the province, together we raised over $600,000 for the First Nations in court, and their legal challenges are what ultimately overturned the Enbridge Pipeline approval. So now we're looking at Kinder Morgan, and once again, this pipeline has federal approval, uh, it has provincial approval, although the government in waiting has said that they will do everything they can to stop it. And it faces 19 legal challenges, challenging those approvals. Yeah. Many of those legal challenges 
are coming from First Nations. And once again, we don't think it's just or right that these First Nations should have to devote much needed community funds to pay for these legal challenges when we all stand to benefit from the outcome. So once again, we are uh, encouraging British Columbians to get involved by holding solidarity events, educating their neighbors, donating, local businesses are getting involved. Uh, and so it's a pretty exciting way to, to both educate people about the importance of these Indigenous legal challenges and also support the nations by raising the funds uh, that are needed for their, for their court fees. Now, I talked to Dina Title about the eco-justice mm. uh, legal fight. Right. Can you tell me a little bit about the First Nations arguments on this? Yeah, I mean, I'm not their legal counsel, and yep. so I'm not the best person to speak about that for sure. The, the very short summary is that they're challenging the process by which the, both the federal government and the provincial government came to their approvals. So there's something like six different rationales within that, but ultimately okay. it's about the failure to properly consult well, and inf infringing on Aboriginal title. Well, just because you've been following this, it hits me that the First Nations have a phenomenal batting average right now with these court challenges. Like, haven't they won pretty much everything yeah, recently? Yeah, I mean, the courts are clear that governments need to be properly consulting. And in the case of the National Energy Board Review, neither, neither Canada nor BC uh, has properly consulted with the First Nations. And I think it's, you know, there's multiple cases. It's worth noting that even if only one of the cases succeeds, that is enough to stop the project because every nation has to be uh, consulted with individually. Yeah, it, I mean, it was fascinating listening to the argument on the Species at Risk Act and how the NEB didn't bother including the tankers as part of the environmental impact of the pipeline. It, kind yeah. of mind-blowing. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a long list of egregious flaws in how the review was conducted. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, you nailed the significant, you know, the, the NEB talks about significant adverse effects, mm -hmm. regardless of spells, and one of those adverse effects is the, the sound. The on the whales. Yeah. yeah. Are there any other ocean-related Sierra campaigns right now that we should be making sure that we hit on SCANA? I mean, we're, we're tracking what's happening on the North Coast with the federal government bringing in a legislative tanker ban. Although, to be completely honest with you, I'm, because I still have a concussion, I'm not able to be completely on top of everything. Yeah. So I can't speak to the details of where, they're, where that's at. They have introduced okay. something. So we definitely want to see that through. We used to have a whole sea choice good seafood campaign, but it's been a few years. We used to be involved in marine use planning, but not so much anymore. Um, so really stopping the Kinder Morgan tankers is our main focus. Is Sierra BC separate from all other Sierras? Yeah. yeah. How, why did that happen? Yeah, I know it's complicated, right? Yeah. <laughs> so Sierra Club started in the U.S. with John Muir 100 years ago. Uh, and then almost 50 years ago, there was a group of folks on Vancouver Island who were concerned about forestry on the island. The story more or less goes that they kind of borrowed the Sierra Club logo without asking. That's so BC! <laughs> formed the Sierra Club of Western Canada. Eventually, you know, formed an agreement with Sierra Club US that this was okay to use the same logo. And then a Sierra Club Canada formed. But we are uh, an entirely separate organization from Sierra Club Canada. 
that is again so BC. Yeah, I mean we talk we talk to both of them. Yeah, regularly. Yeah. Cool. And and actually just on that, obviously the Kinder Morgan tankers and the whales go on both sides of the border, right? So this is not just a Canadian issue. This is a cross border issue. And we've been working with Sierra Club US out of Seattle. They've actually been supporting our Pull Together campaign, and there's been events happening in Seattle. And it's funny, you know, growing up in Vancouver and on Salt Spring Island and crossing the Salish Sea, it was like there's this border that I didn't really cross, right? And I, I mean, I cross it a lot more often now, but ecologically, we're so connected, right? So we have this very arbitrary political delineation, but the whales go back and forth. The First Nations go back and forth. Their families are connected across the border. So we really have seen on this campaign the importance of finding, you know, transboundary alliances, because we really are all in this together. How's that working? How, how are you navigating that with both governments? And, and also, I'm curious, does having the U.S. environmentalists make an impact on Canadian policy because, you know, Canadians tend to get nervous around Americans and go, oh, the Americans think this, we should pay more attention. Yeah, I I mean, Trudeau seems pretty set on this pipeline, no matter <laughs> no matter that, you know, folks in the Washington state are, are, are opposed to it as well. They've, people in Washington state have been opposing all kinds of uh, coal and LNG, and they've really geared up to oppose a lot of fossil fuel export. Um, and so it's great to have their support on this also. I don't know the degree to which it's influencing Canadian politics. Um, certainly, you know, one of, one of the realities is Kinder Morgan has been having a hard time raising the money to build their pipeline. And the more people are organizing on both sides of the border lends to the financial risk, right? So the, the political uncertainty of the, no, of the new BC government has meant that they have just tried to go public with their shares and the share prices were dropping as the NDP and the Greens were announcing their alliance. And the legal challenges also pose a lot of financial risk. So I think just in general, the more people, the more diversity of people in places who are speaking up in opposition to this project, it adds to the financial risk. You know, if I was an investor, I wouldn't be investing in this pipeline. <laughs> yeah, I just don't get how they don't see the protests coming. Look how many people protest the clock with, and that took effort. That was before the age of social media, and that took going out somewhere. Doesn't take a lot of effort to yeah. get up to Burnaby Mountain or to go to the yeah, coast in Victoria. Yeah, and you've got the mayor of Burnaby himself saying that he'll do what it takes. The right? mayor of Burnaby, the mayor of Vancouver, the mayor of Victoria, yeah. all saying they'll stand. Yeah, you know, we ran into Elizabeth May on a, on Walk for the Sailor she Sea, and she was saying she was prepping for prepping for the protests. So, yeah. Now, I'm curious, does this work both ways? Like, are you drawn in to help get the dams taken down in the states that would help the orcas? Like, is the Sierra Club BC or any environmental group in BC sort of called in to weigh in yeah, that's an interesting on Snake question. River Dam or whatever? I mean, there, occasionally we sign letters of support and things like that when we're asked to. The reality is there's so many urgent environmental issues in BC and there's so many urgent environmental issues in Washington state that we can't actually work together on everything so we you know we try to communicate and try to I would like to be able to offer more support and yet the reality is there's also issues in BC that I'd like us to be able to work on that we're just simply not able to. Are there any other major issues Sierra Club we should make sure that we 
or Sierra Club BC, right. we should make sure that we mention. I mean, we also have a very active campaign uh, to oppose the Site C dam. Um, so there's that. Yeah. <laughs> there's that. We we put out a report and a video just a couple of months ago that looked at the subsidies that the provincial, that the former liberal provincial government has been offering to fracking and liquefied natural gas companies that include subsidies around subsidized hydro that the Site C Dam would be providing and that all British Columbians would be paying for through increased hydro rates. Kind of connecting the dots between uh, Site C and hydro rates and LNG and actually Kinder Morgan because Kinder Morgan would also be paying subsidized hydro rates. When Christy Clark announced the BC approval, she said, oh, well, this is in our interest because they're going to give us 25 to $50 million a year. When you crunch the numbers on the electricity rate that Kinder Morgan would be paying for like pumping stations along the pipeline, at the subsidized industry rate, they'll be, sorry, not that they're paying, but that they're getting subsidies. They'll be getting a subsidy of $27 million a year. So it's actually kind of a wash. <laughs> wow. That's kind of stunning. Yeah. So, so we're trying to connect the dots between hydro rates, affordability for British Columbians, the Site C dam that we don't need that would be powering fracking and LNG facilities that are for export and that are total climate bombs and, you know, terrible for the climate we don't need. So we're trying to connect those dots um, and then also trying to do something about the massive rate of logging that's still happening on Vancouver Island, that these big old growth trees are still getting cut down, they're getting exported, raw logs are getting exported, jobs are being lost because we're not processing the wood here. And, you know, when you when you start to look at climate change and how ecosystems are shifting as a result of a changing climate, you realize that these big western red cedar, these big old growth trees on Vancouver Island, they're actually not a renewable resource. We cut them down, they're not going to grow back because the the climate's not there for them anymore. And, you know, they're, they're a better economic service for our communities as a tourism destination or a recreation destination. So why are we cutting them down and exporting the raw logs? So, so we're trying to bring more attention to that as well. And you know, so much of Vancouver Island has already been logged, but that doesn't mean we should stop trying to protect what's left, right? Like, let's keep those few last big trees standing. Now, I know that's a real passion for you, because I've got your book. Ah. <laughs> let's yes. see. I've got your book right here from Orca, and wow, they love your book at Orca. You talked to them? Oh, yeah. Uh, nowhere else on Earth standing tall for the Great Bear Rainforest. Can you talk about how this came together? Because yeah. this is like a kid's book for adults. Yeah, like yeah, it's a really, <laughs> I look at this and I was, I was shocked that this is considered a kid's book or even a young adult's book because this yeah. is such a thorough look at the Great Bear Rainforest. But, you know, if you took out the cartoons, this is a great primer on the Great Bear. Yeah. No, that's great to hear you say that. I have definitely heard from adults that they're like, oh, now I get it. <laughs> on climate or trees or Great Bear Rainforest or whatever. But some adults don't read it because they think it's a kid's book. So I hope that more adults read it. But the story of how it came to be is actually pretty cool. I was, I've worked with Sierra Club for a long time and my job has shifted a bit over the years. So I, I was supporting coastal guardian watchmen uh, in First Nation communities in the Great Bear Rainforest. And I had the great 
privilege and honor to be spending a lot of time up on the central and north coast in these communities and out on the land and out on the boats and hearing their stories. And there was one year in particular that everyone was talking about salmon. I mean, salmon are the lifeblood of the forest, of the whales, of, you know, of the communities, of the culture. And salmon are having a hard time in some places in some years. And so everyone was talking about how the salmon just weren't coming back and stories of people actually taking salmon from one creek and taking them to another creek for the bears and the bears running like dogs to catch the salmon. And, and I was really upset by these stories, right? Like there was so much concern and fear and uncertainty. And it felt like a lot of the folks in these communities had been speaking up about the salmon for so long and nobody was listening, right? And I thought, okay, well, I don't know what I can do about this, but I feel like I want to try to tell the story. So I wrote a little article that got run in the Monday magazine, which is the Victoria Entertainment paper that used to run little articles. And then I got a call. I got a letter from the publisher saying, do you want to write a book? And I thought, okay, I've never written a book. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. And that's how it happened. Well, so I, I kind of, I mean, I, I tell the story because it, to me, the book is about, the book is about inspiring kids, young adults, adults, everyone to basically pay attention to what's happening in the world around them, both the beautiful stuff and the challenging stuff, and to know that they can do something about it no matter how old they are. And the way that the book kind of came to be illustrates that. I didn't know what my story would lead to, right? But you just kind of take one step in the direction you want to go in and things happen. Well, since this is magic of audio, I just have to tell people that like the cover is stunning. Right. There's a photo on the cover of a tree that looks like an ant that is impossible. Um, <laughs> like you just look and go, oh my God, these trees had to have been around. They're dinosaur size. They're just yeah. mind blowing. And yeah, it's just, I mean, there's nothing to me that says this is a kid's book, right? And we, yes, if you look at scanna.org, we will have photos in the book. I've already cleared that with publisher. Awesome. But the other thing I did was I talked to your editor, and your editor said it was their first nonfiction book, but they also said you changed the way that Orca deals with nonfiction authors, mm -hmm. that based on working with you, they only ever want to work with people who are passionate about their topics for nonfiction now. Wow. So that's, that, that's a comment from your yeah, editor. Yeah, from Sarah. So I thought that was pretty cool. It, they were good to work with. They were great to work with. Cool. Even before we formed government, we were clear about our intentions to protect the Great Bear rainforest and sea. This unique and beautiful ecosystem thrives with diverse wildlife and supplies an abundant and sustainable economy to the tens of thousands of people who depend on its help. It is a jewel of Canada's west coast. Is there anything from about the Great Barrier you want to make sure people are hip to? Yeah, I mean, so Sierra Club has been involved uh, in protecting the Great Bear Rainforest for, oh my goodness, over 15 years probably, uh, alongside other organizations as well, and of course the First Nations whose territory it is. And just last year, we finally, after many years of negotiating, have 
agreed with the province and the First Nations and industry and everyone involved to implement, fully implement the Great Bear Rainforest Agreements, which sets aside a large amount of the area for conservation and then allows ecosystem-based management to happen in the remainder of the area. So long story short, it's a model of how there doesn't need to be a dichotomy of we're going to protect these postage stamp areas over here and then over here we're going to just do status quo business as usual. The kind of, well, there's, there's lots of actual learnings from the Great Bear Rainforest, but one of them is that we can look at conservation much more holistically and, and then ensure that outside of the conservation areas, that business that happens operates within ecological limits. And that's, it's a really profound way of looking at our economy and how we interact with the natural world and the other really important thing in the Great Bear is that the agreements are government to government. So the First Nations yeah. negotiated government at, on a government to government basis. And so the protected areas aren't this idea of parks that nobody can do anything. They're conservancies that are managed with the local nation and that allow some economic activity within the protected area. So it's a very new, it's a very new from a Western perspective. It's still not new from an indigenous perspective, but it's a, it's a new way for the province of BC to be looking at, at land management, and it, it's an important precedent that can and should be applied in other parts of the province. So we, we continue to be involved in kind of monitoring the implementation and making sure that we do get a tanker ban on the north coast, because even though Enbridge is dead, there's refinery proposals, um, there's other oil pipeline proposals. A, an oil spill from an oil tanker, whether it's diluted bitumen or refined oil, would be devastating for that ecosystem, um, both the terrestrial and the marine ecosystem. So we continue to be uh, doing what we can to, to make sure there's a good oil tanker ban in place. Cool. Anything else about the book that we should mention? Um, well, because this is for podcast, actually, I'm really excited. I just heard... Oh, I'm going to get the name wrong. There's a National Association for Equitable Reading or something. I have to get the tweet, but it's a it's an association that makes books available for people with perceptual disabilities, and they have just converted my book into audio format. Oh, fantastic. And put it on some summer reading collection for this year, which having a concussion, I actually haven't been able to read books for the last year. So I've been having to listen to audiobooks, which you know, it's it's great to have that option, um, although I really miss books. So I was super thrilled that, that my book is now going to be available to kids or whoever who aren't able to read. Nice. Okay, we can trade because my, my book, The Killer Whale Who Changed the World, doing a plug here, yeah, uh, yeah. we just got the audio book uploaded to Audible great. yesterday. Nice. So I'll send you that. Awesome. You can send me. I'll listen to it. <laughs> totally. Fantastic. <laughs> Now, you were saying something a little bit earlier that really hit me when you were talking about the true costs versus the perceived costs on Kinderberg and the pipelines. And and it sounds like a bit of a shell game that in terms of the Kinder Morgan value to BC, including an epic subsidy on their power rates. So in order to supply the power for Kinder Morgan, we're building Site C. It really does yeah, seem I mean, like a bit of a Ponzi scheme. Yeah, I more integrated with fracking, with the L and, LNG, fracking and LNG. But, um, you know, there, there was 
some speculation that federal approval of Site C was connected to provincial approval of Kinder Morgan. So it's, that seems you know, pretty clear, yeah. But yeah, um, I mean, I think really when you get down to the cost of it, the, I it, sort of a separate way at this, but Kinder Morgan in their submission to the National Energy Board in the environmental review process actually said that an oil spill would be good for BC economies. Turn that frown upside down, oil-soaked neighborhood. You can get a job cleaning it up if you just have the right attitude. Hey, you sperm whale. Want to tow some boom before you die? Yeah, we'll make it worth your while. You get a job out of it. That is seriously what Kinder Morgan is arguing to the freaking Canadian government about why they should be allowed to triple the capacity of their pipeline. More oil means more chances for oil spills. And more oil spills means more jobs cleaning up oil spills. And this is where the ludicrousness of the way we measure economic progress kind of comes into play. So an oil spill is good for GDP because it creates so war. jobs in oil spill cleanup. So Kinder Morgan had the audacity to actually say that an oil spill would be good for, you know, BC's economy, which I would not want anybody that I know or care about to be working on a spill of diluted bitumen. You look at the, the tar sands bitumen spill that happened in uh, Kalamazoo in Michigan and people got really sick because of the toxic vapor that, that when the bitumen separates from the diluent that it's being shipped through the pipe in, there's, there's serious health impacts for humans and probably for other critters as well. So I would not wish that work on anybody, right? So, so yeah, I don't think an oil spill is good for the economy, <laughs> and uh, there are very few jobs long-term that would come from these pipeline and tankers, and it would put something like over 98,000 jobs on the coast alone at risk, plus all jobs that depend on a wild salmon economy through the interior. I mean, we the costs are huge. The cost of an oil spill would be totally huge. Hey, but Rachel Notley just explained to us the other day, it's not our coast, it's Alberta's coast, I think, you know. Right, they seem to think they know what's best for us. I mean, and let's talk about the whales again, right? You know, whether you support whale watching tourism or not, I think the reality is that people come to BC because they want to see the beautiful coast, you know, whether they're seeing the whales from the ferry or wherever else. And the economy of the Gulf Islands, of Southern Victoria, Island, Southern Vancouver Island, a lot of it is dependent on tourism. And, and I would argue that killer whales are a big part of that. So the costs are huge. All right. Thank you so much for this. Great to meet you. Thanks. Great to meet yeah. you too. Thanks again for checking out an Orca Awareness Month edition of Scanna. If you like the show, please tell your friends. I'm Mark Larenyang, and this is the Scanna Podcast. That's S-K-A-A-N-A. Please spread the word, subscribe on iTunes, and give us lots of stars to help other people find the show. Also, subscribe to our newsletter at Scanna.org. We'll send you updates on our upcoming episodes, news about orcas and oceans and the environment. If you don't like the show, I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. 
And if you want to find out how the world fell in love with whales, check out my book, The Killer Whale Who Changed the World. Available in hardcover, ebook, and a new audio edition at audible.com. Your first month of membership is free, so if you're not a subscriber, you can test my book as your freebie. And if you're game to help support us on patreon.com, or know someone who might be game to sponsor us, that'd be awesome. Now, here's how Caitlin Vernon wants you to make waves. Hi, I'm Caitlin Vernon, Campaigns Director with Sierra Club BC. One thing that you can do to help protect the orcas that live in the Salish Sea of southern British Columbia is to get involved with our Pull Together campaign. It's a campaign to support the First Nations who are in court to stop the Kinder Morgan pipelines and tankers. They can, uh, their court cases have the power to stop this project, even with a new BC government that is saying good things about stopping the project. These court challenges will be continuing uh, and they need your support. So you can go to pull-together.ca to find out how you can get involved, organizing solidarity events, uh, supporting local businesses in your community who are donating proceeds to, the, to this to pull together, or donate yourself. Because here's the thing, when it comes to stopping Kinder Morgan and protecting the orcas and doing something about climate change at the same time, we all need to find the courage to step outside of our comfort zone. If you're already involved, try to do something a little bit more. You know, if you've got money to give, you can donate. If you don't have money, maybe you can give your time and energy to get involved. Uh, you can also support us here at Sierra Club BC. We need volunteers all the time, uh, and we need your donations to run projects like this. You know, when we when we think about what does solidarity with First Nations look like? What does reconciliation look like? Uh, it doesn't just look like standing beside. It looks like standing behind and being willing to take direction and follow their lead. And that can look like stepping outside your comfort zone. For us as an organization, Pull Together is stepping outside our comfort zone. We're involved in fundraising for, for somebody else, for First Nations. Uh, so we need your support as well so that we can keep doing those kind of innovative campaigns uh, and get involved with Pull Together. It's pull-together.ca. Uh, speak up in whatever way you can to stop the Kinder Morgan tankers. We all have different ways of getting involved and everyone's voice matters. Uh, so do what you have energy for and thank you. Scanna is produced by Rain Banu, associate producer Riley Vloswick, and audio engineer for intros and cool extras like this one, Alexander Brendan Ferguson. Since we talked about Caitlin's Great Bear book, I thought we'd end off with a song for tree huggers from a great indie band, Ontario's Forest City Lovers. This is If I Were a Tree. tree I'd shake you off who needs all those dying leaves follow my roots to the underground drink wine with all the thieves if I were a tree I'd give you wood 
Disappear without a trace. Trace. 